Welcome to the Bible Professor Podcast Show. Our goal is to bring biblical literacy to the podcasting world and to the ends of the earth. We'll do that by teaching the Bible, defending biblical Christianity, and discussing the Bible's relevance to culture. Welcome to the Bible Professor Podcast Show. I'm the Reverend Dr. Mel Winstead. Glad you joined me for this episode. What I'm going to do on this episode is talk about apologetics, Christian apologetics. We're going to talk about that primarily from 1 Peter 3.15. So we're going to uh, analyze that uh, verse of Scripture uh, and the context and see how that applies to our understanding of Christian apologetics. Maybe you hear other Christians talk about apologetics. What is it? This is an introduction, an introductory level. Uh, to Christian apologetics. And we're going to answer uh, several questions for you uh, here, and it's going to be uh, basically uh, these four or three. What is apologetics? What does this word mean? What is it? And then some biblical examples of it, along with some terminology and some other main passages of Scripture uh, where this is dealt with. And then uh, thirdly, how should it be done or with what attitude? And that there is where we'll analyze 1 Peter 3.15 over in the New Testament, okay? So again, I'm going to answer these questions for you. What is apologetics? What are some biblical examples? And how should it be done uh, looking at uh, 1 Peter uh, 3.15? Now, if you go to the text, and uh, this uh, New American Standard 2020 update uh, reads this way, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And your uh, Bible might read with humility and reverence or gentleness and reverence or respect and fear, gentleness and fear, different ways it's uh, it's translated there. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk about apologetics. You have this word apologion, uh, first of all, apologetic. And uh, so uh, this is where we're giving a defense to everyone who asks you to give a, an account. Uh, this is where we're giving a defense. So apologia, apologia, apologia. You heard, heard it, uh, have heard it pronounced other ways, I'm sure. I'm using the pronunciation system uh, primarily that I get uh, from uh, Bill Mounts, the system he uses, because that's the grammar I usually teach uh, New Testament Greek from. And so anyway, apologia uh, transliterated uh, in, uh, to apologetics. This word means a defense. Okay, now look, transliteration is primarily, basically, essentially, where you're going to bring down uh, each letter in the uh, original language, uh, a one-on-one -on -one correspondence to its receptor language. So the alpha would be an A, the pi would be a P, the omicron would be an O, the lambda would be an L, the omicron would be an O. The gamma would be a G, the iota would be an I, uh, the alpha would be an A. Okay, apologia, uh, but that's that's the transliteration of the word. That's not a meaning. What does it mean? It means a defense or explanation. So just like, uh, for instance, uh, another topic for another day. But diakonos, this has been transliterated in our English Bibles. Uh, the alpha would be an A, the kappa would be a C, omicron an O, uh, the nu would be a, a, an N. Uh, deacon, diakonos does not mean deacon. It means servant. So it needs to be translated that way. And same with uh, apologia for apologetics. Uh, 
It doesn't mean that. That is the word we need to ask. What does this word mean? It means a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the or, or a reason for the hope that is in you, reasons why you believe in Christianity and the Bible. So we're talking about biblical apologetics. Why do you believe in biblical in the Bible or in biblical Christianity? Now, I'm also specifically going to use this adjective biblical to differentiate biblical Christianity, what it, the truth claims brokered in the Bible, the 66 books of the Protestant canon, to differentiate that from all of the uh, uh, um, anemic and false iterations and terrible iterations and manifestations of Christianity throughout history. Uh, we're talking here today about biblical Christianity, defending and explaining uh why uh, we believe in biblical Christianity, uh, the doctrines, the truth claims, the teachings about Jesus and his miracles and his personhood and his resurrection, all these things about Christianity. Why do we believe these things? Okay. And listen, so apologetics then, uh, this is another issue uh, we need to think about. Apologetics is about uh, being able to and having a passion to, for the truth of the gospel and uh, the, the, the word of God, having a passion for that and also a compassion for people that they know the truth. This is what apologetics is. We want them to know the truth of the Bible and why we think it's true. And so we want to explain that to them and give them answers. This is what apologetics is primarily. Okay. This is what apologetics is answering people's questions giving reasons why you believe in Jesus Christ, why your hope is in him. Okay. This is apologetics. Okay. So um, when we uh, look at first Peter three fifteen, then I'll just pull the, the uh, text up here. We see apologia there. Okay. Be ready with a defense. So uh, a defense or explanation. Now, in some cases, apologetics, is defending uh, biblical Christianity by giving reasons for its truthfulness and answering people's objections. There it is. In other cases, it's a word that's used in the New Testament for defense as in legal defense in some cases. We're going to see where Paul actually does that. The Apostle Paul, as he's on trial there in the first century, on trial before kings, governors, and, and so forth, procurators, and, and so forth. So it's giving reasons. Why do you believe? Why are you risking what you risk uh, for the sake of Christ and the claims of the Bible? Why do you do that? Giving those reasons is practicing apologetics. This is what apologetics is, okay? Apologetics also, then it includes the truths about God, Jesus Christ, the Bible, and what it teaches. It includes facts about Jesus, the miracles, the resurrection, and other truth claims in the Bible. It includes the fact that Christianity, is the true religion and all other religious claims that contradict biblical Christianity are false because that would be part and parcel of a definition of a truth claim and the definition of truth itself. Uh, the opposite of true is false. Okay. So if Christianity is the true religion and we can give evidences uh, that that is the case, um, then, um, all other religious claims that contradict biblical Christianity are false. Another way to say this is 
that um, in other religions, for instance, at points, especially the major points of doctrine and theology, where those religions disagree with biblical Christianity, those religions are false on those points, okay? Again, this is part of what apologetics is about. Apologetics, uh, apologetics then is giving reasons why you believe these things about the Bible, God, Jesus, biblical Christianity, okay? It, most especially when we talk about the major or fundamental uh, doctrines or teachings of the Bible. Apologetics includes the areas of all branches of science, the Christian faith and the truths about the creator and the existence of God, a necessary being, uh, one who created everything uh, uh, that uh, had a beginning, everything that exists. Um, uh, the branches of science can be used to support. They can demonstrate that. Uh, in fact, I have another episode uh, uh, where I um, have interviewed a uh, biology professor from Boston, and he demonstrates, you know, the fine tuning not only at the cosmological level out in the universe in deep space, but also the fine tuning within the cell itself, uh, dealing with chemistry and biology. So. All branches of science can be used to demonstrate the truth claims uh, that God exists and the truth claims of the Bible. Okay, so uh, botany, uh, zoology, uh, chemistry, biology, hydrology, geology, um, uh, cosmology, all branches of uh, science. Uh, and uh, math also, apologetics can include using math, can include using history, using forensics using archaeology, uh, using philosophy, using morality, using the, uh, theology and ethics to demonstrate uh, uh, to, to, to demonstrate, uh, hey, these are additional evidences as to why I believe the Bible is true. Uh, now you may as a Christian already believe the Bible is true because whatever, you know your Sunday school teacher said that, your grandma taught you that, uh, you just read it and believed it. You know, the spirit prodded your conscience and it agreed uh, your conscience and it agreed with with your uh, inner person, whatever. You, you may already have one or two reasons why you believe the Bible, um, but there are many, many others for you to consider and to make your own, to put in your toolbox, if you will, to shore up any doubt you may have been having about uh, God, Jesus, and, and biblical Christianity. There are answers out there. If you don't have good answers uh, or don't feel like you have solid answers or you have nagging questions, go find resources. I'm going to do another episode on some resources that I've read and used and been encouraged by and edified and, and built up with and, and, and uh, solidified my faith, if you will, uh, made my faith in Christ deeper so that my worship of him is higher I have uh, these uh, thoughts about God to worship him. You know, the, the deeper you go in the study of Bible and under, uh, the Bible and understanding uh, God, the, the, the higher you, heights uh, your, your heart is lifted to, I think, to, to help you worship him more passionately anyway. But there are resources out here for apologetics, okay, to answer these questions. Go find answers. When, you know, if you've been witnessing to or talking to, discussing Christianity or even debating it, discussing it with someone at work or out on the ball field or in your home or in your community or at the gym or wherever, um, some class you were going to, you've been discussing Christianity and someone has this question that you just can't answer, 
apologetics is going to find those answers to present to those people. Okay. So um, apologetics can include any of these areas. And again, there are plenty of resources out here. So we're answering again, what is apologetics? What is apologetics? And then we'll look at some, what are some biblical examples and what, with what attitude should it be done? First Peter three fifteen. what is apologetics? It is answering people's questions about the Christian faith, giving reasons why you believe, or maybe you've gone and, 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 and uh, gone and performed some research to, to give additional answers in, in addition to the ones you already, uh, reasons you already believe in the Bible and God and so forth. Now, uh, in answering apolo- answering what is apologetics, we could think of some uh, terminology here as well. So if you're going to go research apologetics, okay, you can't, it, as is the case with most concepts, you have to look at multiple different terms that uh, speak to that concept, that help describe or explain that concept. So apologetics is not the only word, right? In the Bible, we find the words like explaining and giving evidence, explaining and giving evidence. We have, uh, that's in Acts 17, 3, the early part of Acts, when Paul is in uh, Thessalonica. In Acts uh, 28, uh, uh, explaining and trying to persuade, persuade, expounded, uh, the King James reads. Acts 19, 18, reasoning or disputing, dialegami, reasoning. Uh, Acts 15, after uh, a noun form, there had been much debate. Okay, uh, Mark 8, 11, the Pharisees were arguing, argue, argue heatedly, Acts 23, 9. Opposing arguments, another noun form in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 20. Uh, so you have other uh, areas of uh, other terms uh, in, in the Bible, uh, not just, uh, not just uh, the word apologetic. You have other terms, okay? And we're going to talk about uh, a few terms. We'll mention a few terms, 2 Corinthians 10, when we get to listing those other uh, those uh, biblical examples and so forth. All right. And then, uh, of course, you have this word apologetic. Here it is in Acts 22. Several times in Acts, Luke uses this word when he talks about Paul giving his defense for why he's on trial or, you know, why he's preaching the gospel of the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth uh, as his king and Messiah and savior. Okay. So Acts 22, you have the word uh, Acts 26. He's actually uh, addressing King Agrippa here, here. Uh, you have the word apologetic, uh, apologeta here and apologestai, two forms of it there at the beginning of Acts 26. Okay. So again, what is apologetics? It is giving reasons for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, reasons for the fact that your faith is in Jesus Christ, giving reasons, answering objections to Christianity. Okay. So the next question I was going to, that's what is apologetics. Now, some biblical examples, biblical examples, Acts uh, chapter eight, Acts chapter eight. And here uh, now, listen, I, I realize uh, you look at Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the guy who's come up to uh, Jerusalem for holiday, and now he's headed back down to the east side of Africa. His chariot driver's taking him home. Philip comes up and 
preaches Jesus to him. I understand we see this as evangelism going out on the offense, if you will, to share the good news. And But the other side of that coin is defending Christianity. I understand these are sometimes, these are two sides of the same coin, but sometimes I think perhaps they're, they're not two different sides. They're on the same side. Okay. Uh, they overlap. I think uh, that's what's going on in eight, uh, Acts, 8, Acts 8, 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say? So I, I sort of have a, a scenario I, I like to paint here in Acts 8 because we're not given uh, any more detail than what you're given in the biblical text. But look, this is a God-fearing man who's he's taken off. He's taken PTO from uh, Candace, uh, queen of Ethiopia. Uh, he's, he's taken PTOs, come up to Jerusalem for the festivities, uh, that were taking place in Acts uh, chapter two. Um, he had saved his uh, money. He exchanges his currency for the shekel. He, uh, uses those shekels to buy himself a scroll of Isaiah. Okay. It, at any rate, he is, according to the biblical text, reading this scroll as Philip comes beside his chariot, runs up beside him and says, Hey man, he heard him reading. Um, he is led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. That classic passage on the Messiah uh, in Isaiah 53. And uh, Philip says, Philip, Philip says, um, hey, man, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, uh, uh, how, how can I? Well, he says, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. Now, open his mouth is a word. This is something we do in evangelism and apologetics. You have to open your mouth to speak, right? You have to open your mouth to speak. He opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Okay. That is an apologetic. First of all, he opens his mouth to, to share. But second of all, it's an apologetic because he is taking the old Testament prophet from several hundred years ago and explaining that Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment. Okay. So uh, the fulfillment of prophecies and the truths of those and how they apply to Jesus and his, uh, his uh, person and his works, that is part and parcel. Uh, that also is an area of apologetics. And then uh, Peter in Acts 10, as he shares with the, uh, this first uh, 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 non-Jew Gentile, uh, in Acts 10, Cornelius, Peter opens his mouth, Acts 10, 34, and says, I most certainly understand now, using a word there, understand, katalambanamai, to perceive with the mind. He understands now that God is not one who shows partiality. He starts proclaiming Jesus of Nazareth, verse 38, and they put him to death on a cross by uh, hanging him on a cross, verse 39. I'm in Acts 10, 40 now. God raised him up on the third day, brings it to the resurrection. And we're going to see, incidentally, uh, in Paul throughout the book of Acts, he uh, almost never, if ever, uh, leaves out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's an important uh, point uh, to understand. And Peter also in Acts 10 preaches the resurrection. Okay, and he says, he granted that he be revealed not to all the people, but to witnesses. Again, this is an area of apologetics that we have eyewitnesses to the resurrected 
Jesus of Nazareth, okay? And then uh, Paul in Acts 17, uh, Acts 22, Acts 24, Acts 26, you have these areas where Paul is sharing, uh, uh, is practicing apologetics. In Acts 17, now here is where you might see Paul employing two different methods of presenting uh, the truth claims of Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ. I think he's starting on common ground with all three, but he does uh, start at different places because it's where people are. So wherever people are that you converse with and are sharing the truths of Christianity with, wherever they are on their journey of searching for the truth, or maybe they're just skeptical and they're you almost think they're confirmed in that skepticism. They just seem very hard-headed is what I mean, uh, and stubborn and, and whatever. Um, uh, you, you still need to meet them where they are and compassionately uh, share the truth with them, pray for them, of course. But look, Acts 17.3, three different towns here. Paul's in Thessalonica. These people already have an understanding of uh, God, the Bible. Um, so he's in the... Uh, uh, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence. Okay, reasoned scripture, explaining, giving as evidence, the resurrection of Christ. I'm proclaiming him to you. Some were persuaded uh, and some joined him. There's about seven or eight terms going back to the terminology right there in the space of one or two verses that have to do with apologetics. So be sure you use those in your search engine or your concordance when you are studying about apologetics. All right. That was worth the price of admission right there, I think. All right. Uh, anyway, these people already have a grounding in the Bible. So he starts with this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Okay. So he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He does not go, need to go back and find the common ground of talking about the creator, that God exists and so forth. Then that's in Thessalonica. Then down in Berea, start. I'm still in Acts 17, starting in verse 10. The brothers sent Paul uh, away by night, to Paul and Silas, to Berea, uh, and they went to the synagogue again. Okay, these are people who have a grounding in the Torah and probably the Tanakh and uh, God for sure. And uh, uh, therefore, he, um, they were examining the scriptures as well uh, there. Uh, and uh, anyway, when you get down to Acts 16, Paul's in... Um, Athens, a centralized place where the, the philosophers of that day gathered, uh, the philosophers of ancient Greece, and uh, they gathered. And they, you know, here Paul comes with this strange doctrine about resurrection, and they weren't used to that talk. He's, they call him a seed picker, idle babbler. It might be translated in your uh, English Bible. Uh, but he begins this way, uh, and they listen. A few of them are converted, actually. Uh, some are curious, and they say, come back next time, same bat time, same bat place, right? Uh, and some just mock and, and, and go away. But uh, Paul stood up and began. He had seen the tombs to an unknown God in case they missed any. And he says, this God that you don't know, this is his common ground. Let's talk about this unknown God. I'm going to make him known to you and tell you about uh, this unknown God. Uh, I'm proclaiming him to you. Okay, and he goes on to talk about this God is eternal spirit. He's the creator, uh, and he, he's, uh, he has a saity. He's self-existent. He's not served by human hands. Um, he himself gives 
to all people, life and breath and all things, right? He's the creator. He is transcendent. He's also imminent, um, though, uh, though he is not far from each of us, he says. And then, though, all these things about this God who exists and his characteristics or his attributes, then he says, uh, critical to understand that this God has spoken. That kind of uh, reminds me of two books by Francis Schaeffer, the uh, apologist from a few decades ago. He had a book titled uh, The God Who Is There, and then a follow-up book, He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Uh, and that's what Paul has done here. This God is there and he's not been silent. He has spoken. Verse 30, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. Okay. So God has spoken special revelation. He is commanding that man repent. Look at, look at the points here because he has set a day on which he will judge the world. That's judgment in righteousness. Again, his character, uh, his attribute, through a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed having furnished proof, that's apologetics, proof, there's evidence, by raising him from the dead, that's the resurrection. So at least six more great apologetic points, uh, but also doctrines of the Bible here. These things overlap here, incidentally. Uh, but notice uh, what Paul has done here. Notice his apologetic. Watch carefully. He started broad. I call this the funnel effect. He started broad. There's a God up there. He exists. You don't know him, but he exists. He's transcendent, eminent. He's the creator. He's self-existent, all of these things. And he comes on down to focus on uh, repentance. Jesus, the resurrection, the resurrection. Okay. Um, if we give to people truths of Christianity or claim to present the gospel to them and leave out the resurrection. We have given them a truncated gospel. This is the hope in Christianity. Okay. We're not just trying to convert people to a discipline or to a philosophy or to a set of rules or religious notions. We're trying to get people to see the love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them and what he has prepared for them in the future if they repent, turn from sins, and embrace him by faith and realize that his shed blood death on the cross was a substitute for them to pay a debt they owed but could not pay, right? Forgiveness of sins is mankind's deepest felt need. We need to be forgiven of sins, and that can only be procured, imputed, placed onto our into our assets column by faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross and raising himself from the dead to demonstrate his power and so forth. This is the gospel, by the way. So apologetics is giving answers to clear, uh, answer questions, clear the roadblock so people can see uh, what Jesus Christ has done for them and how that he loves them and how that their hope can be in him. All right. So uh, Paul in Acts 17, 22, 24, 26. Now, so we've looked at some biblical examples. One final thing on some biblical examples. We looked at what, it is, what is apologetics. It is clearing the way, answering questions, giving reasons why you believe in biblical Christianity. And again, there are great reasons. There are solid, objective, sound reasons out there as to why Christianity and the Bible is true. 
Go find those answers if you don't have them, if you need more to share. Okay? That's what apologetics is. Biblical examples are Philip in Acts 8, Peter in Acts 10, Paul in Acts 17 primarily, but other places as well. Okay? And so um, uh, um, then we want to look at some additional verses that go along with some biblical examples. So we had our, our classic passage that we're uh, dealing with or uh, basing uh, this talk on that we're going to uh, uh, explain here and analyze and go through in a few moments, 1 Peter 3.15, also Acts 17 that we just uh, ran through a flyover, but also 2 Corinthians 10. Verses three, four, five, uh, the, the Greek of Paul's day and then that society, he uses warfare language, okay, the weapons of our warfare, uh, pulling down strongholds, um, destruction or destroying, okay? The weapons of our warfare, though, are not of the flesh, but are mighty through God or divinely powerful. So Christianity does not try to um, explain Christianity so that people will believe it, uh, by force. We don't do that by force, by war, by battle, by injuring people. Okay. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They are the, those weapons are the truth claims of Christianity. The truth will set people free, right? If they receive the truth, Jesus said as much in John 8, 31, 32. So 2 Corinthians 10 gives a look at Christian apologetics as well. First Peter 3, 15, Acts 17, 2 Corinthians 10, and finally, uh, Jude uh, 3, before we get to 1 Peter 3.15. Oh, wow. Jude 3 is a great, a great verse. Man, look at this. Look at this. Um, Jude 3, um, you have this word, ep agonizestai. It is a compound word. It has the English word, I cognate agony in there, something you need to strive and work toward, uh, but you, you know, uh, 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 be sure you do a good job at finding answers to share with people from the Bible or about the Bible, to answer their questions, to minister to them, to walk with them through this journey of looking for the truth and looking for uh, the, the God uh, who loves them deeply. Okay, walk with them through this journey of understanding uh, Christianity, right? That might, might take some time and investment on your part. Ep agonizestai. That's why the New American Standard has this adverb, earnestly, contend earnestly, because it is a, a compound verb here. Contend earnestly, all right, uh, for the faith. So we want to work at finding answers to share those things uh, with uh, people. Uh, Jude says, uh, contend earnestly for the, now I like the syntax here, actually, for the once for all delivered to the saints faith the once for all delivered to the saints faith once for all delivered to the saints faith interesting thing here so christianity uh was handed down to the saints uh, the truths uh, that god wanted us to have were brokered through the prophets and the new testament apostles in fact the new testament apostles and christians of the new testament already had a fixed canon the Old Testament canon was fixed. Uh, and then the 27 books of the documents of the New Testament that made the cut into the canon because the early church recognized uh, the internal authenticity 
and the mark of the Holy Spirit on the books. And there are other criteria of canon uh, issues there. Uh, but they had the mark of the Holy Spirit. There was internal authenticity to them. Uh, the, 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 the Christian faith uh, was brokered through the Old and New Testament, and there's nothing, there's no new revelation from God to be given after the New Testament documents. It was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay. Uh, and uh, so just wanted to be sure uh, we understand that. If you need to know something about uh, what the Bible teaches about a doctrine, then go to the Bible and dig that out. Okay. And then you go to your apologetics resources, maybe secondarily, to find out how to present that. Or maybe if you need help understanding it, then find the help. Uh, but the, um, the core of the truths are given in the scripture, and there's nothing to add. There's no new revelation from God. Uh, one reason that's the case is because anytime you see somebody saying they have new revelation from God, if you look carefully, you're going to see that it actually contradicts what's in the scripture. And if God inspired uh, the six six books of the Bible, and another writing has uh, writings that contradict that. Well, God's not going to contradict Himself. God cannot lie. He's not going to contradict Himself. The opposite of true is false. So both of those writings or documents or claims cannot be true. That's just an impossibility. Okay. Uh, anyway, the once for all delivered to the saints' faith. So again, we're talking biblical Christianity. We're talking biblical. Uh, Christianity. What's brokered in the Bible? All right. Now, 1 Peter 3.15, if you go there, then uh, interesting about 1 Peter 3.15, it begins with the word kurios or Lord, uh, but the Lord as Christ or the Lord Christ, uh, the Lord Christ, sanctify or set apart. Uh, make sure your allegiance is with Jesus Christ. He's your Lord. He's your master. Uh, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Cardia, you might notice the English cognate there. In your hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Um, so Peter is here telling us when he says uh, set apart Christ. Or actually, let me go back a moment. Um, understand now, hagiazate, sanctify or set apart Christ. That's the imperative mood verb. That is a command in the in the grammar, it is the command is it is in a command language mode of verb. Now, interestingly, um, Neva Miller published an essay years ago uh, in a fest drift edited by Dave Black and others where she demonstrated Well, the title was uh, the imperativals in Romans 12. It's a great essay uh, demonstrating that commands could be mitigated or brokered uh, in the New Testament Greek not only through imperative mood verbs, but also even through adjectives, which is actually what we have going on here. So we're going to check that out. Uh, all right. Um, now, Peter is telling us, though, with this first command to have a Christ honoring lifestyle, uh, especially in the context of adversity. And we need to deal with that. Have a Christ honoring lifestyle that would raise the question from our neighbors to begin with. So in other words, you know, at work, in the cubicle the, or up and down the halls with those next uh, around you or out in the field or on the, in the athletics, wherever you are, school, classroom, work, home, friends, leisure, vacation, wherever you are, be sure you have a Christ honoring lifestyle. Uh, nobody's going to ask you 
probably, uh, well, they won't be able to ask you unless you're living Christ honoring lifestyle, especially in the midst of adversity. How, how can you hold to the truths of God, Jesus, the Bible? How can you believe the Bible when it teaches that, or they think it teaches this or that, or how can you believe in the Bible when all this is going on in your life, all these stressors or, or, um, adversity of whatever sort. So, uh, and that's when you need to be ready with answers as to why your hope is in Christ. Okay. And so then, um, uh, so spiritual maturity is needed, um, to sanctify Christ as Lord. Uh, someone says is not to make Jesus more holy, but to reverence him above all human authority. That's right. That's good to reverence him above all human authority, a renewed allegiance. Tom Schreiner says, uh, in his New American Commentary, comments that setting Christ apart as Lord in our hearts is not a private inner thing that is inaccessible to others because the heart is the place from where the behavior outflows. The reality of Christ as Lord in the heart will be evident all when the believer is suffering for the faith. Yep, we said that. Well, this is right. The heart is not a private um, inner thing that's inaccessible to others. Jesus taught this exact same principle, did he not? It's out of the heart uh, where... Um, uh, murders, thefts, adulteries, wicked thoughts, evil actions. It's out of the heart. Uh, these words and things come out of your mouth. What is in your heart is going to come out in your behavior and in your words. You can't help uh, but that be in the case, right? The fruit uh, will be based on the root of what's down in your heart. So be careful you're sanctifying Christ as Lord in your heart. And then we have this adjective um, prepared always to, toward, with, the preposition pros, as in uh, uh, John uh, 1.1, NRK, ain halagos, kai halagos, ain proston theon. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, pros. Be prepared with a defense. There's your word, apologia. Be prepared with this defense. Have it ready. Have, have answers in your toolbox. Okay? An apologetic. A defense is translated in most English uh, Bibles. Be prepared with a defense or be ready to give answers. You could translate it that way or say it that way. Okay. To all those asking you a word, logos. Now, some of us uh, in the Bible training or church or college seminary, whatever, Bible study, your own study, whatever, you understand probably heretofore that. Logos means word. The word means word. But logos is translated probably five or six other ways in the Greek New Testament. First Corinthians 1.18, for instance, for the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. And three or four other ways. Here it's translated account. It is actually probably a better translated reason here. Be prepared to give a defense for those who ask you a reason for the in you hope, a reason for the hope. Men and women, there is Christian apologetics in two words, reason or reasons, hope. Give reasons for your hope. Give reasons. We've been talking about that. We've shown how Paul has done that. So apologetics is giving reasons why you believe in the truth claims of Christianity and in uh, the Bible. We looked at examples of 
Philip, Peter, and Paul giving reasons for their hope. Uh, Paul was on trial for the hope of the resurrection, he said in those passages in Acts. Paul was on trial for the hope of the resurrection. Okay, Again, our apologetics needs to include, uh, well, that's why uh, the resurrection of Christ is still a major area in Christian apologetics, defending the resurrection. Uh, It is just that huge and probably will be until the day uh, the Lord Jesus returns out of the sky. The resurrection of Christ. Paul gave reasons for his hope in the resurrection. We need to give reasons for why our hope is not in my health, my wealth, my smarts, my wit, my job, my securities, my investments, my community, my family, my business, my nation, my government. Why is your hope not in those things? Primarily your hope is in Jesus Christ and in him alone for my forgiveness of sins, for my eternal security, for my identity, for my purpose, my hope. Jesus Christ has to be the object. Give reasons for the hope, okay? And we find this in 1 Peter 3.15 here so clearly, uh, as I've said, okay? To have a renewed allegiance. Be ready to give an account. uh, account. MacArthur says hope is synonymous with the Christian faith because the motive for believers embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is their anticipation of escaping hell and eternal glory. So, yeah, look at Hebrews 11, right? Uh, things hoped for, our faith, right? Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Be sure that you're giving reasons for that hope. And then how do we do it? How do we do it here? Gentleness and respect, gentleness and reverence, not being dominant or overbearing, reverencing the God of truth, right? A respect or reverence for his gospel, his truth that he's given us in the Bible, and a respect for the people, the humans in front of us with whom we're sharing truth. Approach others kindly and carefully. Okay, The Christian defense must be reasonable, must be done with gentleness and reverence, and with a life that matches the message. So I think that's three things, uh, major things we've got out of here, and probably uh, a lot more. Now, one more time back at this passage. Uh, Do this with humility, gentleness, and respect or fear. Gentleness. As the great apologists have always said, we are not here to win arguments. We're here to win people. And people's souls are are that important, and the gospel is worth it, that we get ourselves equipped to give reasons to people so that they understand that Christianity is the truth and that Christ died for them, raised himself from the dead, and that God loves them, uh, and he has the truth uh, for them and can forgive uh, their sins. So we want to be gentle with people. Um, We're not here to win arguments, but to win people. So do do this with gentleness. And then you have the word phobos, actually. Respect, reverence, fear, the word actually means. Uh, Fear. Um, Fear as we present. The truth claims of Christianity, let's do so in fear that we want to be careful we're not misrepresenting the Lord, right? Second Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ after all. 
So fear that we uh, we want to be sure we get it right. So fear that we're getting it wrong. We want to get get it right. And then also fear for the people in front of us that they're following a lie, following falsehood, false teaching, cults or false doctrine. So we fear for them, right? Uh, and we want them to uh, know the truth. So this is how we practice our apologetics, okay? So again, giving reasons then why you believe these things about the Bible, God, Jesus, and biblical Christianity, why you believe the fundamentals of the faith. If you don't understand what those are, you definitely better dig into uh, research and find that, okay? So hopefully uh, we've answered these questions for you. What is apologetics? Um, biblical examples, uh, Philip, uh, Peter, and Paul, and how should it be done with gentleness and humility and uh, reverence? We've unpacked um First Peter uh, 3.15 for you. So hopefully we've answered these three questions for you. What is apologetics? It's giving answers for your hope in Jesus Christ, giving answers why you believe in biblical Christianity. Okay. Uh, what were some biblical examples and terminology, giving uh, evidence, reasoning, um, uh, exposing uh, the doubts uh, and uh, persuading and, and other terms. Also, we looked at examples of um uh, Philip, uh, Peter, and Paul in Acts 17, 22, 26. We looked at several main passages of Scripture. First Peter 3, 15, Acts 17, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, Jude 3. And then we answered, how should apologetics be done with gentleness and fear? Gentleness and respect. Okay, so what is apologetics? Biblical examples, how should it be done? Uh, there you go. Be blessed. I'm done. I'm the Bible professor.